0: Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. I'm sure you've seen the festive signs around town, but for those of you who may not know, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. Last year, we highlighted some of the local community resources that can be found in English and Spanish for caregivers and their loved ones. This year, we're doing something a little different. We are going to talk to a caregiver just like you. Now, you may know the statistics. The average Hispanic caregiver is a woman. She's over 40, living near her family, providing some kind of unpaid care while also working a full-time job. Okay, but what does that actually mean to be a caregiver past all of the statistics and stereotypes? What works and doesn't work in Latino families? And what can we learn from sharing our, experiencing, our experience of being a caregiver to a caregiver? So today, we've invited Marie Arcos. Um, by day, Marie leads the community partnerships at the YMCA of Greater Houston. But by night and weekends and on her time off, she helps care for various family members. Uh, Marie uh, is going to be sharing her experiences both as a Latino caregiver and a working professional here in Houston. Coming up on Prepare to Care. Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here today. So Marie, I mean, we came in, we know each other. We've met a couple of times, Mm -hmm. right? And then um, I I met you semi-professionally. We've Mm -hmm. talked about your job. I had no idea you were a caregiver. I should have guessed, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, because we're about the same age. We're about that time in life when a lot of us are becoming caregivers. And um, and before the show, you were telling me, like, a, a funny story or a joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what is that? Can you share with us? Yeah,
1: I was sharing with some friends last week. Um, my mom has needed to go to the doctor, so we set an appointment, and then kind of invited her to go to the appointment. But along that, there were four of us going. And there's seven siblings. Okay. So my mom was really frustrated. She's like, well, I don't know why it takes all four of you to take me to the doctor. Y'all all go to the doctor and I'll stay home. But so we all went to the doctor, all crowded into his what? office like room. four
0: family members? Well, and four your family
1: members. My mom, uh, my brother's girlfriend, and my dad. Okay. All in the examining room. So...
0: Okay, so this is
1: like a group thing for you at the house. Yeah, it becomes a group thing in caring for the parents sometimes.
0: So you say you have seven siblings? Mm -hmm. Are are you all living in Houston?
1: Yeah, all seven of us live here in Houston, and we all pretty much live 20 minutes away from our
0: parents. Really close. So it's really close. So your parents, I'm guessing, are needing a little bit more help now?
1: Yeah, they're still active. They've uh, recently retired from the catering business. Although my dad is fully retired, he refuses to do any any additional business. But my mom takes on those few little caterings on her own. Uh, so there's, you know, there's conversation around: Will this still be okay for you to do? Are you active enough and mobile enough to continue to do that? So, uh, but they're mostly retired. Okay. So without giving exact details, they're mm-hmm. in what their seventies, sixties. Yeah, they're in their mid seventies. Mid seventies. Yeah. Mom's in really good health. No right. major issues. Dad just, you know, had a triple bypass a couple of years ago, uh, so we're, you know, monitoring his health, but, uh, so they're they're in good health, but
0: not picture perfect. So, how do you manage caregiving in a family where there are seven siblings? I bet people have lots of different opinions about things.
1: Yes, so there seems to be some times in families where, you know, somebody gets all the responsibility for one thing or the other, but... With seven siblings, everybody has a say. Everybody thinks they know the best way. Um, there's even talks. I hope mom's not listening. But my mother doesn't drive. She's never driven, so my dad yeah. drives her. Um, but you know, they're like, when will we? You know, when will you ask them to stop driving? You know, and so half of the family is like, well, maybe they shouldn't be driving anymore. And the other half is like, well, as long as they are fine and they get their driver's license. Why would we want to take that away? So it's really important decisions that people are talking about as siblings uh, without including our parents. And okay. so, so I think that's one of the big dynamics uh, when you have, especially in a Latino uh, family, you know, everyone wants to be involved. Uh, but at some point, we have to come to an agreement on what the best plan is going to be. But
0: then when you say plan, everybody kind of backs away. That is very interesting (laughs) because we hear from a lot of caregivers who are like the lone caregivers. Mm -hmm. But what you are describing is a family dynamic that's very different Mm -hmm. where it's like everybody, like how do you guys work it out? Like you have a vote Mm -hmm. system or you just have a talking system? How does it work? Well, there seems to be a bossy one in the family every now and
1: then. So there, there are things we delegate. So on uh, because it's like half of us are the girls and then half are the boys so naturally some of the things when it comes to talking to my dad about his personal care you know, my brothers kind of address that in terms of things to make him feel a little more comfortable talking about. Same thing with the sisters. You know, we talked to my mom, you know, in terms of some things that are changing in our bodies. Right. And they're not comfortable. Sometimes you're like, wow, how did I become the mom in this conversation when I'm really your daughter? Mm-hmm. But you're having some really serious conversations. But we um, we really separate the duties like someone will be responsible for more of the financial and major life decisions there might be another sibling that is more flexible with their schedule so they do more of the transportation like picking them up for special events or taking them places they want to go somebody else might help you know like take them out to a movie or more social you know, activities and opportunities. And so we kind of like, so it's great with the seven of us. So we divide and conquer. Yeah. But it's creating that, the big plan, like, so for 10 years, you know, down the line. Really, what are we going to be doing? Uh, and it seems a long time away, but it's really not. Because within that 10 years, we could have some other hiccups that we weren't uh, anticipating.
0: So I'm, I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm hearing mm-hmm. a, a gender uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> difference, which actually sounds very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're right. I mean, men may not want to talk to a daughter about the bodies mm-hmm. and, and vice versa with a mom and a son. It might be a little bit more difficult. So that's helpful. And then it sounds like um, there's a division of labor based on personality and maybe strength as well. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So what's your role? Oh, gosh. I'm the bossy one. You're the bossy (laughs) one. Okay.
1: Yeah, I get the text. You know, there'll be these group texts now. Like, so dad is pre-diabetic right now, which when we ask them, how would your doctor's visit go? And they're like, fine, we're good. But then, when we ask a few more questions, we're like, So, why are you taking this medication? He goes, Well, you know, they think I might be, you know, become diabetic soon. And so we're like, Soon, that means you're on medication. So there's a text. It's like, Please stop bringing donuts and sweets to the parents. Please bring vegetables and fruits. Maybe instead of sitting around and talking to them in the living room, invite them out to go walking to the park around the corner. Or take them in your car and go walking at Home Depot or Costco, someplace like that. So so there's some directive on, like, instead of doing this, like we're comfortable for with, let's do something that's going to help them in the long run. Uh, so those kind of texts come from the bossy one. Like, stop bringing desserts, basically. Okay. Um, and then let's help our parents be more active. Um, so they don't have great-grandchildren yet. And those, we want them to see the great-grandchildren. So their grandchildren right now in their mid-20s. Yep. And so some of them have just recently gotten married and they'll probably start their families and family is so important, you know, uh, so we want our parents to be around to to see those great grandchildren and help raise them and let them know their legacies and, and who they are and become part of their lives, you know, before, you know, before they pass.
0: So you use the term bossy. I'm going to change that to maybe like a, a leadership role. A leadership right? role. I like family? that. I like that. Um, <laughs> I, I think because what, I think what we've heard from our caregivers is somebody needs to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I may ask, are you the oldest by chance?
1: I'm the oldest uh, girl. I have you're two older brothers. the oldest girl. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So I, and I think like in our families, mm-hmm. like we, we do take roles of leadership right. in, in various areas. Um, so what you're saying is, okay, so you, you, you take the lead. Uh, into communicating uh, with your uh, with your siblings and, mm-hmm. and making suggestions um, and what you shared is there are other people who make uh, who take the lead in financial c- c- uh, decisions mm-hmm. or take the lead into social situations mm-hmm. um, have you guys been in a situation where you had to make tough, tough decisions or not yet not
1: yet but But when I was caring for my grandmother some years ago um, there were some really tough decisions and you know she had failing health Um, her husband died early on Um, so and her children had passed on as well so it was just the grandchildren and we were there with her and we she lived on the next block okay so as the eldest daughter and granddaughter for her I became like her primary caregiver And especially when she started to hit her 90s, she was she was very active. She lived, you know, in her own home um, and I became that person. But she had some directives that she wanted to have happen when she died. And she talked about that because death in our family was very early for us. Her husband, my my real father, um, her two sons. So we grew up around death, but she grew up with her plan. Like, I want my red negligee, I want a pink coffin, I want this mariachi song, I want this food to be served. And that was topic around the table with the other grandchildren. But when she got closer to, uh, really uh, got sick and knew that she was expiring or dying, she was very clear to me that she wanted to be cremated okay very different in a catholic family raised that way uh, grew up for 40 something years knowing that she wanted to do something different yep. and when she changed her mind and wanted this to happen though my uh, siblings were like no that's not what she wants i'm like this is what she wants and it did cause some division you know there were you know silent conversations people coming and going in the house yep. where we didn't speak to each other it was very uncomfortable um, for a period of time. But, uh, finally we had to just have a conversation Is this is her, these are her wishes.
0: She's a sound mind and this is what she wants to do. And this is what we will abide by. So, so I think you're, you're hinting. And so number one, this is your second time being the, the caregiver, right. right? There was one, <laughs> one with grandma and now you're starting, you're in the early stages of round two with mom and dad. Right. Um, I think you, 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 You're talking about something that's very interesting, which is sometimes um, in certain uh, groups, there can be very strong cultural traditions that that bind everybody, such as, you know, the Catholic tradition uh, among Hispanics. And when something goes, like, not in that direction, that can create tension. Yeah. So um, Hispanic tradition. I mean, obviously, religion is is a very big one. Are there like other things that you think are, are particular to Hispanic um, a Hispanic population?
1: I think uh, one of the other thing is uh, typically our elders will stay in their home. Yep. So they will, if they're able to, they maintain in their own home or they move in with uh, one of the the children. Uh, in their household and, and people make room for them. They'll readjust rooms, living conditions, and that sort of thing to make sure that they can be with uh, that elder. I think some of the other things are just everyone wants, you know, uh, the family wants to stay together and they want to do the best thing for uh, for that grandparent or that parent that they're caring for. Uh, so there's a lot of voice mm-hmm. in there. And then there's a lot of passion, There's a lot okay. of history, like in, like you uh, alluded to, the uh, our traditions, our faith, you know, are very prevalent in that, and um, but I, I think um, more so now, instead of just leaning on our elders or maybe another uh, older person, maybe not in the uh, person being cared for, we'll reach out to them and ask them for advice, uh, so we don't really seek out other services okay Uh, so I think and and so in the Hispanic culture you kind of keep it all you rely on your own community which your community is very much the family first very much the family then the church right then other relatives and neighbors and last would be
0: any type of outside support so you've lived through this. Yeah. Did it work out that way? For, and okay, and in your role um, professionally at the yeah. YMCA, you're actually used to providing services to outsiders, right? Yeah. But in your own life, you're like, okay, it's family first. Those outside services are going to be last. Yeah. How do you reconcile those things? Well, it's it's funny because uh,
1: when I'm working with the 55-plus um, yeah. um, uh they, uh, when I present them opportunities to do like plan for care, or let's talk about what are the issues around, you know, questions you have about your will and about your house and things like that. Can we bring somebody? Nobody wants to talk about it because the community I work in is predominantly Hispanic, 98% Hispanic. Okay. And they don't want to talk about it. But what happens is when somebody passes or they get very sick, you see the family coming together for fundraisers you know, in ways to help pay for a funeral or ways to help pay for medical expenses. You know, when if we would just take the opportunity to reach out to the resources, we could help plan better and know what some of those options are, but um, people are so afraid to talk about death, talk about sickness, talk about being old or aging, uh, so um, as a community, we have to begin to talk about that in a very conversational way and non-threatening way. That uh, there is support out there, people that can answer questions, and people can help uh, create those plans, but also answer
0: questions for those that are aging. It sounds like you had some of those conversations with your grandma, which is why you knew more precisely what she wanted, right?
1: Yeah, they were com- and they were they were very natural conversations. Okay, uh, and we worked closely. She had a home healthcare doctor, okay, uh, who was really great, uh, and so she was open to allowing because she knew the toll that it was taken on the time I was probably the only one that had the flexibility and schedule the other siblings were raising their children working two jobs and those sort of things I had a little bit more flexibility so she uh, had more conversation more time and opportunity to have those straightforward conversations and plus being a lead person in the family right um you know she um she felt comfortable Talking to me about something, you know, some of the things that were very important and weighed on her heavily in terms of what how she wanted it to happen, and then of course she talked about her legacy. What does she want our family to be after she passed away? Uh, but those were not early conversations in her 60s. Those happened late in her 80s and closer to her death.
0: When when yeah it when- would. I think that makes sense, right? In yeah. our sixties, we don't want. Hey, we, we're all approaching our sixties. We don't want to think about it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you mentioned that that culturally there is more of a culture of what I would call privacy mm-hmm. um, in in a Hispanic culture, um, and and you could see how sometimes that that creates bonds within the family, but sometimes people don't want to have some of those tough conversations or all be open to other influences that might help them. Yeah, uh, and
1: I think pri- and so I and I think the word private, and I think probably if my grandmother were sitting here, she was like, "Well, we're not private; we're very open, right?" But open in a way to people that live around them. Um, so, and not that private's not a, a right word, but I think it's more um, prideful mm-hmm. in terms of being able to manage and take care of their own family without leaning or um, you know expecting someone else to come in. And so, I don't know if they think when we're born, we have this manual that. Evolves as we evolve, right? Um, But there is, yeah. There's, there's a strong sense of not reaching out or telling other people what's going on, especially when someone takes ill. You know, um, you know, they don't want to talk about it too, and don't tell your. Don't tell your aunt or don't tell your sister. I have this going
0: on. We'll work it out, right? You you, know. you don't want to worry them, yeah. So I mean, it's about and the you,
1: worrying piece, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I have the same thing in the French culture, which mm-hmm. is which is mine. So um, th- tell me, I I thought you you raised something that's very interesting. Do you think there's a there's a cultural differences in the way people approach death in the Hispanic culture? Um, gosh, I'm not sure. I would have to think.
1: Um, Death, I think because families were living longer and had multiple generations, I think it would seem like kind of a natural thing that would happen. And so, but I think now with diseases coming up and death coming earlier, and some even parents, uh, I mean, children dying before their parents as adults, I think it's, uh, we've become, we have to talk about it more, and it has become more scary because uh, we know that there are things that maybe could have done in our life to make it better healthier choices and lifestyles gone to the doctor more regularly and caught some things ahead of time and so I think there might be and I don't want to say shame but there could be a a slight piece of the responsibility the personal responsibility people had or didn't take when they were younger so I think it's about death coming sooner Mm -hmm. in families versus the natural
0: process maybe 30 years ago that you're right things don't go according to plan yeah. <laughs> okay um, um so marie thank you so much for uh, for sharing with us a, a lot of things that are mm-hmm. actually very personal um uh, about your family and experience this is all about the time we have today but before we go if you have one piece of advice for our hispanic listeners out there what what would that be i would say take the time to have the
1: conversations with the person you're caregiving take time to and and i hate when people say my my grandmother or my mom or my gra- my dad is you know i have to treat them like a child now you know and i just i just hope that people continue to have dignity and respect for the roles people play in our lives and that we continue to treat people the way we're going to want to be treated and not the way that makes us feel most comfortable that we just have to step out of our shoes and be there fully present listening and taking care of that person that loved one in the best way that we can
0: and that we would think that they would want to be always cared for all right thank you so much um so a big thank you to marie arcos for um coming here and sharing her personal tips and helpful resources um as always if you thought this podcast was helpful or if you have friends or family you are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. I'm going to ask you, if you are happy with this podcast, leave a review on iTunes for us. Tell everybody how happy you are with us. If you're not happy, send us a message. Also, take our Prepare to Care podcast survey. Help us improve future episodes, tell us what you want to hear about, and find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for caring.